Thanks so much for joining me on the Towards Health podcast by H1. I'm your guest host, Jared Taylor, and today I'm joined with Anatoly Gaifman, the VP of Medical Devices at H1. How are you today? I'm very good. Nice to meet you, Jared, and thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. Um, I think we should just dive into it. We usually keep these short and sweet, but informative for, for our audience. Would love if you I would love if you could start, uh, Anatoly, by telling our audience a little bit about your background. Uh, tell us about yourself, too, like also what you like to do outside of work. I know they'll love hearing that, but uh, your background, and then we'll, we'll talk about H1 more. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so my name is Anatoly, uh, and um, um, I, I joined H1 in July last year. Uh, prior to that, I was uh, the CEO uh, and co-founder of a company called Carevoyance. Um, so what we did at Carevoyance is we worked um, with life sciences companies, much like H1 does. Uh, we worked with primarily medical technology companies, uh, those that produce medical devices or biolog uh, biologicals or um, diagnostics. Uh, and we worked mostly with commercial teams, so marketing and sales strategy, you know, those types of teams. Um, and um, so the way that I got into that is uh, before Carevoyance, um, I was uh, – I'm an engineer by, by, by training. And uh, before Carevoyance, um, I, I, I was a chief architect of a company called Ambra Health. Uh, and there, what we did is we built a medical imaging technology for, uh, for, for hospitals to exchange images with patients, but also with referring physicians so they can do diagnostic reads. And as we built that software, I, I felt the pain as I was helping the commercial team go to market with it. So I felt the, the pain of identifying the right opportunities. Uh, what types of substantive conversations could you have with those folks? Uh, and as a category creator, essentially, on the market, so what we were building didn't really exist before we started building it. And so as we were building that category, um, it became really clear that uh, it was very difficult to to identify the right physicians and the right administrators at facilities to have these conversations without additional signals that we didn't get from, uh, you know, whatever the databases were that we were accessing at the time. Um, so as I sort of started looking around and, and um, trying to see what opportunities existed, and that one was like a super clear one. It was at the intersection of a hard problem and a lot of data. <laughs> and that's like, I love working in that intersection. So yeah. Uh, prior to that, I actually worked with a lot of data before. Um, I've always been working, I mean, since high school, really, uh, with, with large data sets, um, especially protected data sets, PI type data sets. So this was kind of a natural evolution. Yeah, it's, I think it's pretty cool that, you know, you saw what needs in the market weren't being met. And in regards to obviously, I, I see like when when you when you started Carevoyance, um, how can you talk more about like I know you mentioned a little bit, but I would be really curious into to seeing what really excited you about that. I know you mentioned a piece of it, but let's let's dive into it. The that fit with H one that got you sure. like, super psyched. Like I'm pumped to to be working on the, you know these problems yeah. with this team. Yeah, totally. Like let's chase it back, right? So. What's excited, what's, what excited me about my work at AMBRA 
was there was this crucial use case of a patient that needed to get diagnostic reads on their radiology studies, right? And so um, in order for that to be successful and timely, that needed to be, get automated, needed to software and, and, you know, methods of communication needed to get involved in order to expedite that process. You know, the state of the art really when, before we built the software was a patient would take a CD to a different office, right? That's crazy. Um, and so improving that with, with, with software, improving that with technology was really exciting to me. What excited me about Carevoyance, the reason that I started it is because I saw this need like Ambra, where we were selling this game-changing solution. I wanted to bring more solutions like that to market, but I knew that the market forces were really, it was really tough to bring category creation solutions to the market. And so it was really important for me to build something that, that could democratize access to this information to more companies, not just the top 10 in the, the world, but maybe the, you know, the bottom thousand or 5,000. And, um, you know, our mission at H1 is creating a healthier future. Right. And so like that mission very much aligns with what I have been doing with my life for the last like, you know, two decades really is, um, you know, creating a better future. And I think the way to do that is through software uh, and through technology. And um, and so I also really like um, the technical nature of solving this problem at scale. Um, and, and what I saw at H1 is I saw both a mission-oriented culture, but I also saw that there is a solution at scale that's happening here that, that was really exciting to me. And so, I met Ariel and, and I met the folks at H1. And obviously, like from a cultural fit perspective, it was a really good fit as well. It was a dynamic, fast-moving organization, thoughtful about how they're going to market, how they're going around, how they're, you know... Uh, talking to their customers and really what's the vision of, of where the product and, this, and, and, this, and the, the company was going. And that was really exciting to me. Yeah, once, once someone meets uh, Ario and the rest of the team, it's tough to not want to join, um, join up and, and work towards, you know, which, which it definitely uh, seems like a similar to like vision. Like this is, so this is a phrase I actually was, uh, Anatoly, I was at the health conference in Boston uh, mm -hmm. last fall and I interviewed the founder um, of Quantify, which uh, Sondermine acquired, and we had the uh, we had someone from Sondermine there, and then we had um, the the founder of Quantify, and I asked him why did you like decide to go down this pathway, and he said when someone shares like when another company shares like a similar vision to you, and you feel like together you can really achieve it and get to where you want to be, you do it. Um, so it's really cool that you know. That you that you're, you're you're working with the H1 team and you're helping uh, you know create a what's the phrase creating a, a healthier future a healthier future yeah absolutely yeah no I, I definitely feel like that and um, it's been really cool like we're we, we were a tiny company you know we we bootstrapped uh, uh, to, to acquisition uh, and um, you know one of the really exciting things is like how do we um, we were growing really fast. And uh, at a time of acquisition, and um, and and uh, so what was really cool is, hey, can we bring to bear like this large organization that H one is building on this problem, um, and you know just like the example that you pointed out, yeah, when like when when you're aligned, like you know what I thought 
we're going to be competing for deals probably un- un- for the rest of our lives, right? And so, like, <laughs> you start thinking about who else you want to work with. You choose the right partner, and you just, you know, you get married, and you go and you go to work together. So that's that's what we're doing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm super excited. Um, and you know, something I'll tell you too. How often this is this is a silly thing, but I have to say it. How often, like, I love the name Carevoyance. Awesome. And like, I love H1. I, I, I love I love the the branding from both. I love how everything's positioning. That coupled with an amazing team and a really great vision, I'm I'm really excited to see what you what you know what everyone continues to keep building on the team. Um, I, I want to make sure I, I point this out, Anatoly. So I, I've been told that you're a what's called a, a, was it tech like techno optimist, um, and and based on really what you've what you've seen, your background in healthcare, right? Why would you consider, why, why do you think you consider yourself a techno optimist? Uh, well, you know, I've seen, you know, if you study history, you can see how technology has, on average, has only improved lives, right? So, of course, you can, you know, point out to the negatives of technology, but, you know, for a I'll, I'll give you an example. I just read a great book. It's called Midnight in Chernobyl, right? And it was, a, a, you know, an hour by hour account of what happened in Chernobyl in 1986. Um, I actually grew up in the Soviet Union. I grew up in Ukraine. I was born in Kiev. And, um, and, and you know, I remember that time. I, I was there in 1986 when it happened. And so, um, so that's not a technology, that's not a techno-optimist idea, right? Like <laughs> Chernobyl exploding was not exactly like the highlight of technology, nuclear technology. But on the other hand, we know that nuclear technology brings energy to billions of peoples in the world today. And so for every one of those, we, we have lots and lots of counter examples. Um, and so I, I see this in, in everything that we do, right? Like cer- certainly there's setbacks and certainly technology is a, is, a, is a sword, just like every sword, like every double-edged sword, there's, both edges, right? And, and one of them can cut you as well as, um, as you know, you can do damage with the other hand. Um, but I, I do think that in responsible hands and certainly with, you know, a, a fair amount of oversight and just like um, good actors, like technology um, is, is, a, is a great means to the end. Um, I, uh, I'll give you another really funny example, another book that I recently read called um, Art of Butchery. And um, it was a story of Joseph Lister who created, who really kind of brought germ theory into surgery. Uh, and, you know, at the time, he was one of the only surgeons in his college who had a microscope. And his people were like, his, his superiors, the, the folks that were teaching him, were like, what are you bringing a microscope for? So, like, technology brought a significant improvement to the science of surgery, to, to the art of surgery. It became not an art. It became a science. Like, that's the promise of technology that I really love. Very interesting. Interesting story that you attached. And, and one that people aren't going to pull out a similar story to that. Like, you have a very unique uh, story. And thank you for sharing, by the way. And um, obviously, if you have anyone that uh, you still know back there, hopefully everyone's doing okay and, uh, during this uh, yeah, crazy time. Um, I, I want to I shift focus a little bit. You recently did an interview uh, Natalie, on uh, for for maps, mm-hmm. where you were talking about why it's even more crucial for uh, medical devices to reach underserved populations um, to achieve better health equity. Uh, 
Can you can you kind of give us, uh, I guess, uh, either part two or uh, give us, a, for, for those of us that haven't fully, uh, listened to it yet, just talk more about um, what, you, what you meant by that? Oh, it's crazy. No, you haven't listened to it. I mean, like, you're missing out. Uh, I, I need to now. No, I... I yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like... So, so you know, think of it this way. Um, um, medical devices generally have um, smaller clinical trials than pharmaceutical products, right? And for obvious reasons, medical devices have, um, unlike a pharmaceutical, it's it's harder to do a double blind. There's like placebo is really hard to do with a with a medical device. So there's, um, and then medical devices, especially implantable devices, have. Uh, a, a significant roadblock in the sense that a surgeon needs to be trained in order to implant a medical device where for a pharmaceutical, the training is significantly less, right? You don't need to train a surgeon to, to administer a drug. Um, and so the clinical trials become very small. Um, but what are the populations that your medical device treats? So like the example I brought up was uh, diabetes. Like diabetes um, affects uh, folks in... in um, uh, you know, more urban areas um, differently than, you know, in some, than, than other areas potentially, or let's say socioeconomic status of the person, that's a significant um, differential. Like, that, that affects diabetes. Diabetes affects those folks differently. Um, there are some medical devices that, um, you, you know, f- populations of, of women get affected more than men. So, that's where understanding how to recruit for these populations becomes really important, right? Is how do you get in touch with, uh, you know, urban uh, folks with low incomes that, that would need access to this technology, to need access to these treatments? Um, and if we don't consider that as to be, to be part of a clinical trial design or uh, even commercial outreach, then, then they're really not serving the population of patients that we should be in. And the diffusion of that technology isn't going to be as effective as it would be otherwise. And um, well, I think that that's, that's really sort of the, um, it's incumbent on every life sciences company to diffuse the innovation to the population. And so the way you start is you, make sure that it works for the population. And the way you do that is you make sure that you include those populations in your R&D and your clinical trials, like, you know, the whole life cycle of the product. Absolutely. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing more, by the way. I really appreciate it. And uh, happy to, to put a link to that conversation um, for, for everyone to check out uh, the, the, the full version of it. So I really appreciate you giving us those, those highlights. My last question for you, Anatoly, is around access to care. Uh, so how does access to care um, for, for, those, for those needed therapies and um, bringing those devices to hospitals and physicians who treat underserved populations, how does that play into uh, what you just discussed uh, in regards to access yeah. to care? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, access to care is multifaceted, right? So one attribute of access to care are... Um, are there physicians who are aware of, of the um, technology uh, at every level of your care? Um, so, you know, in America, we have uh, a system where we have primary care physicians that are not necessarily specialists on a lot of conditions, um, but they're generally knowledgeable about the care for a patient. 
And it's incumbent on them to understand the factors behind the different conditions that their patients have. So they can refer a specialist, a, a patient to a specialist if it's medically necessary and if it's important for that patient's, you know, um, healthcare outcomes, right? So, um, but that comes with it, that has to come with education, right? That primary care physician needs to be educated about uh, the condition, needs to be educated about the treatment options in order to, ref- to, 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 to be a good referrer to a specialist. Specialists, um, you know, imagine um, if you trained 30 years ago versus today. So, um, and in almost any specialty, but 30 years ago, we didn't have surgical robots. And now lots of surgeries are being done by surgical robots. 30 years ago, we didn't have, um, we only have like very, very, very early, um, you know, computer imaging. And, and, and now we have a lot of computer imaging, like everything is computer imaging now, right? So um, awareness and understanding of new technologies as they treat patients in your specialty, like that's very, very important. And that's another part of access, right? Is if, if you go to a, if you get referred to a physician who's not aware of the most modern treatments for a particular condition, or at least aware of what are the options, then, then, then you're, then you're, you don't have access, right? Um, and then access is of course, financial access, right? So someone has to pay for these services, at least in the United States, right? We don't have a national payer per se, we have Medicare, but that's different. And so it, ensuring access to healthcare to, to these to these products and services and, and, and these treatments, like um, it's it really has to be with the payers themselves as well. And so there's a component of education there and then understanding what are the lives covered by these payers, right? Uh, and then we talk about, you know, those folks that don't have a lot of access also are the folks that are covered by, you know, potentially some of them are covered by Medicaid and, and other government uh, um, payers and it's incumbent on companies um, in the life sciences space to um, to have those conversations with those payers and to get coverage for those treatments for those patients. And so, yeah, access is a multifaceted problem. It's it's a challenge for sure for every company, uh, for every life sciences treatment. But it's also an opportunity as well, right? Um, proper uh, uh, health economics and outcomes research. Um, proving that the product is effective, um, ensuring that the population of patients that is best suited to the product, that product gets tried on those patients, right? So it, it's all sort of part of that life cycle. Well, Anatoly, your passion and knowledge in this space has uh, just shined throughout this whole episode. So I really appreciate you coming on as a guest. And, uh, and sharing your thoughts on uh, everything that you're building at H1 and also your knowledge into the core areas that, that you are, are so passionate about. Uh, where, if someone wants to, to connect with you or, or learn more about H1, where, where should they be heading? Go to our website. Uh, if you find me on LinkedIn, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is right there. Um, I'm always eager to talk to other folks in our space and um, and I'm, I'm really eager to talk to entrepreneurs in our space. Uh, have being one and having been one, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really passionate about um, innovation. I'm really passionate about uh, bringing new treatments to life and also new products to life. And, uh, it, you know, I'm always help, always trying to help. Thanks again for being a guest. Wish you all the best of luck and can't wait to have you on again soon, hopefully, Anatoly. All right. Likewise.
Great to meet you, and 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 uh, I appreciate the interview. Thank you. 